on the field, inside the clubhouse, and everything in between. This is Brewers Weekly. Here's Dominic Catronio. Welcome in. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to everybody listening. I'm Dominic Catronio. Not a traditional podcast episode today. This is the games of the year in the 2023 season. Let me take you into the process a little bit of how I very arbitrarily decided on these 10 games of the season. I'm going to list some honorable mentions here at the start. Then we're going to count down backwards 10 down to 1 of what my opinion, what were the best games of the year. And what I mean by that, I emphasize games because I want it to be the entire game. The tension, the drama... There was one caveat. I needed the Brewers to win. So that was the number one qualifier. I was not going to count the near 10-inning, 11-inning no-hitter in Yankee Stadium. Yes, it was epic, but the Brewers lost that game. There were a couple Cubs games that were great contests. The one nothing loss that Burns pitched down at Wrigley. It was a loss, so I did not include that in the honorable mentions or the top 10. Also in this process, I used a stat called win probability added. Uh, You can see how it swings. You know, if you follow Sarah Langs, I've mentioned her a lot on the show if you've been listening throughout the season. Sarah Langs likes to post the roller coaster win probability charts from Baseball Savant just with the text, Wee! whenever there's something crazy happens. So I use that a lot, finding some of the biggest win probability added plays of the season for the Brewers, you know, kind of from the jaws of the feet to suddenly being in chance to win the game. So that was part of the process as well. But once again, this is totally my ranking. If you want to get mad about it, if you feel like I left something out or if something in the honorable mentions should be in the top 10, you can tweet me, you can email me. I'm on Twitter at Dom underscore C-O-T-R-O-N-E-O, Cotronio. Or you can email me at dcatronio at goodkarmabrands.com. The other thing about the way I did this, I don't want to take up too much of your time. It's not just going to be a highlight melt. Okay, so what I really like to do, if you've been listening all year, again, you know I'm a golfer and I, I love to play golf. In one of my favorite golf podcasts, they do a year in review where, you know, it's less so about who won the results of the game. Like I just teased you the fact that all of these games are wins. So you know the result of these games. You're going to instantly think back when I say the game. But I'm trying to find the ancillary details and the fun stuff about the the team or what was happening at that time or the starting lineups or little moments you may have forgotten about that seemed like a big deal at the time. So I, I, I really enjoy it. I, I really love putting this kind of stuff together. And I, I think you're going to enjoy it too. So we're kind of building the plane as we fly it, but in a good way, because I've really enjoyed diving back into all of these games. So let's just start with the honorable mention, shall we? So these are the games that are not going to be in the top 10. You're not going to hear highlights from these. I've kind of teased them the last couple of weeks here on Brewers Weekly and uh, what's going on with that. And it's funny, as I looked at the list and what I finally came up with, in the final top 10 There are only two games from the first half in the top 10. So some of the honorable mentions include the first win of the year for the Brewers. Remember, they were getting shut out in the first couple of games. Uh, William Contreras heading to Stoinker down at Wrigley in the cold. That's an honorable mention on April 1st. Uh, May 13th, when Yelly hit two homers against the Royals in a sweep over the weekend against Kansas City. Obviously, May was a really tough uh, month for the Brewers, hence why there weren't many games in the first half on this list. I've also got June 29th 
in New York against the Mets. That was Adrian Hauser against Max Scherzer. Little did we know Adrian Hauser would be traded to the Mets just a couple of days ago. But that was the game Victor Caratini hits a bomb off of Scherzer. They hang in tough. And they win three out of four against the Mets. Uh, I've also got those three straight shutouts on the honorable mentions. I know the three straight shutouts against the Reds into and out of the All-Star break, July 9th, 14th, and 15th. But I've got another Reds game on here that I think you're going to like just as much. Uh, July 20th at the Phillies. That's an honorable mention as well. That was when Burns had an eight-inning shutout. Abner Uribe slammed the door in the final frame there. Into August, a couple of good games. I even left a walk-off off my list. I left the Andrew Monasterio walk-off error as a top 10 game of the year because if you remember August 9th against the Rockies, the Brewers should have won that game. And the fact that they uh, had to rely on an error, a throwing error from uh, the shortstop, it's not a qualifier for a game of the year, but they snagged one. They won the series against the Rockies in that one. Uh, The seven runs late against the Yankees in September, that's on the cutting room floor. And also the 12-run second inning in Miami because that was just one inning. That wasn't just the whole game. So the 12-run second inning is also on the cutting room floor. So those are the honorable mentions. Without further ado, let's get things started. We're going to go back to June 6th for our number 10 game of the year. The Baltimore Orioles in town. Freddie Peralta on the mound. Here's what the first inning sounded like. Swing and looping line drive. Base hit's going to drop. And on the third goes... Contreras, Gibson deals again, a swing, a line drive, base hit to right. Contreras is in on a rocket to right by Abraham Toro. So 2 nothing Brewers after one inning. This was a game started by Kyle Gibson, who is now a Cardinal for the Orioles, uh, and Freddie Peralta. And if you recall, back in late May when the Brewers were really struggling and trying to get things back together, early June, Freddie just wasn't quite himself, and now he's facing a tough, young, scrappy team in the Baltimore Orioles when he's trying to get things going in the right direction, and he did. He did allow a two-run homer to Aaron Hicks, and I I was looking back, remember when Aaron Hicks was just on top of the world for a little while there after he left New York, became an Oriole, and this was right in the middle of his epic tear last season, leaving the Yankees and, you know, People talk about the fact that Camden Yards rechanged its dimensions, but he's still a switch hitter. So when he's hitting from the left side, he's certainly still enjoying that ballpark. So from when the moment he arrived, May 31st, in in Baltimore to June 20th, uh, a stretch of 17 games, he hit 340 with a 1048 OPS, including one of three home runs against the Brewers here. But overall, Freddie pitched very, very well. 2-2 game. He only threw uh, five innings in this one, had nine strikeouts, 98 total pitches, then handed it over to the bullpen. Elvis Peguero had the sixth, no problem. But Yoel Piomps allowed a home run in the seventh. That was to Ryan O'Hearn, and it gave the Orioles the lead at the time. Looking at this lineup again for the Brewers, this is a reminder of why this team went out and did what they did at the trade deadline. This is what the starting lineup was uh, on June 6th, when the Brewers are trying to just come back around and get things going in the right direction. Yelly was leading off. John Singleton was batting second, playing first base. Contreras batting third behind the plate. Rowdy DHing as a cleanup hitter. Brian Anderson was still batting fifth. He was in right field for this game, then moved to third later in the game. 
Abraham Toro started the game at third base. He has since been traded to the Oakland A's. Blake Perkins came into the game later. Luis Urias was playing second. Bryce Terang was at short because, remember, this is still about a week after Willie Adamas had the concussion from the foul ball in the dugout. So no Willie in this game. Then Weimer was batting ninth for the crew. And it was all because of the freshmen that they were able to tie things up in the bottom of the eighth inning. A leadoff walk to Blake Perkins. Then Bryce Terang is at the plate. Perkins steals second base during the at-bat, and Terang loops a single into center field off of Yaner Cano, who was a great reliever for the Orioles. That ties the game at three. He would eventually get out of the frame. We would go to extra innings, Devin Williams and Felix Bautista, the first and second team relievers of the year, all MLB. Bautista was a first teamer. Devin Williams was a second teamer. They were as advertised in the ninth inning. But now we go to the 10th. Peter Strzelecki pitched the top of the 10th inning. This is early June. He was still a leverage guy for the Brewers before he was eventually optioned and traded over to the Diamondbacks. But he gets out of the 10th inning, leaving the place runner stranded. He got Josh Lester to strike out swinging. He was pinch hitting at the time. So then the Brewers, all they had to do was score a run in the bottom of the 10th. Obviously, Felix Bautista is out of the game. Austin Voth replaces him. The man on second base was Andrew Monasterio, pinch running. After Blake Perkins popped out, no advancement there, Luis Urias walked. First and second, one out for Terang. He would strike out. Then it was up to Joey Weimer in the bottom of the 10th. 1-2 pitch. Breaking ball. Hammered down the left field line. This ball is going to one-hop the wall, and this game is over. Joey Weimer with his second walk-off of the season, and the Brewers third, and they win it 4-3 in 10. Lang Grindle's call. So to wrap up a few things about this game and why it was significant for the freshman at the time to get out of the rut, Bryce was in a one for 41 going into this game. And the fact that he got the game-tying hit off of one of the best relievers in the American League had to create some confidence. Also, Joey Weimer was starting to get hot, too. He was in a six-game hitting streak, of course, hitting the walk-off down the left field line. He had already had a walk-off with a sack fly earlier in the year against the Royals. Two things about Joey. This is when, you know, the the thought was, oh, he's a dude uh, and he's a golden retriever. Go out and get it. He made that great play, uh, robbing Aaron Hicks of a double in the right center field gap. Here's what it sounded like. 2-0 pitch. Hit in the air, right center field. Weimer on the run. And Weimer reaches out and makes the catch. Oh, what a catch by Joey Weimer in the gap in right center on the warning track. And this was also like, Peak mullet season for Weimer. Remember, they had just gone back to Cincinnati. He was back in Ohio, and he had the mullet from his friend, and it was gnarly. They were given mullet cuts later this week uh, for all the fans. This was like peak Joey Weimer mania. The mullet was going nuts, him going nuts with the with the crew when they hit the walk-off. So this is where the dog, the golden retriever, became a thing for Joey Weimer. This, this game, his second walk-off as a brewer. And again, June 6th, Brewers win 4-3 in 10 innings over the Orioles is our number 10 game of the year. Now let's fast forward to September 1st, the final month of the season. And let me just set the stage. Phillies are coming to town, and there's a lot on the line here. Both teams identical, 74-59 and records. Brewers still up two and a half games in the Central entering this series. But if you recall, they're coming in kind of bruised a little bit because... 
They just had a nine-game winning streak, the Brewers did, when they swept the Rangers, they swept the two-game series against the Twins, they sweep the Padres, they win the first game down at Wrigley to make it nine in a row, thinking, okay, this is your chance to take control of the Central before that final week of the season against the Cubs. But then instead, they lost the next two games in Wrigley, right? They lose one nothing and 3-2 to two down at Wrigley. So you're thinking, oh no, here come the Cubs. Here comes that last week of the year. Everyone's glaring at that week now. And the Phillies playing great baseball. Second place in the East, a lock to be the number one wild card. You're really hoping you don't lose the Central. But this series mattered so much for tiebreaker because the Brewers had already won the series in Philly, so they needed to make sure that they were going to do the same at home, protect home field, and get that head-to-head tiebreaker, because as we learned in 2022, how important that tiebreaker is. And I'll repeat it again. I know the Brewers, by math, lost the uh, missed the playoff spot in 2022 by one game. They really lost it by two because they did not have the tiebreaker over the Phillies. And, of course, in 2022, the Phillies make it all the way to the World Series. Last season, the Phillies were the one-seed one wild card. They went at home over the Marlins. Then they beat the Braves, shocked everybody. The Braves started to complain. Anyway, I digress. This was an awesome pitching matchup. This was Zach Wheeler against Freddie Peralta. And remember, in the second, second half, Freddie Peralta was so much fun to watch. Freddie was fantastic in this game. But both pitchers, both starters, really only wanted one pitch, one pitch back that they threw. A leadoff homer by Kyle Schwarber. This is also a trend for Freddie throughout the year. A lot of home runs allowed this year. But a leadoff homer by Kyle Schwarber on a hanging breaking ball from Freddie Peralta. But it seemed to lock him in. He would go six strong innings. He would only allow one other hit. He would retire the last 11 batters he faced. He had 10 strikeouts in this game as well. One of three games in the second half. Excuse me, four games in the second half that Freddie had double-digit strikeouts. He was fantastic in this game against a strong Phillies lineup. And the Brewers had no answer for the most part for Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler is a stud. He was second in Cy Young the year that Corbin Burns won it. Back in 2021, this was the lineup that the Brewers were rolling with, right? Yelly leading off, Contreras batting second, Santana newly acquired for a month now, Santana batting third, Freelick in the cleanup spot, Willie batting fifth. This was in the middle of his slump. Rowdy batting sixth, DHing still in his slump. Canna batting seventh, which is kind of shocking to think about how low he was hitting at this time. Terang eighth and Monasterio ninth. And this was also, I remember the week after... Trey Turner got the ovation in Philly, and he started to play great. That was August 23rd, if I'm not mistaken, when the Philly fans gave him the random ovation and was like, hey, you're here for a long time. We want to support you no matter what. Willie, you remember, was in his really, really awful slump in the middle of all of this, and I, I, I bring it up every now and then, but I still laugh at it because I, I said – hey, what if the Brewers did this for Willie when he was in, I mean, the slump of all slumps, remember? And he was owning it. He was still talking to the media and everything with that. And, you know, people were disagreeing about it because, hey, he's going to be a free agent, yada, yada. Well, Willie started to show signs of life here. And he showed signs of life against one of the best pitchers in the game in Zach Wheeler. So it's one nothing Phillies in the fourth inning. William Contreras leads off with a single through the left side. Santana then singled through the right side. First and second, Freelick would fly out, and then it was Willie. On a Friday night here in Milwaukee, 0-1. This is hit well out to deep center. Marsh is back. Track, wall, gone! 
Torres with a three-run shot, and the Brewers lead it three to one. But I mean, truly, for the majority of this game, nothing was happening. Right? You just allowed the homer to Schwarber to lead off the game and the homer by Adamas there. That was it. The only two mistakes both those pitchers made in the start. They both went six. They both struck out ten. Then it was Hobie Milner, the first man out of the bullpen for the seventh inning. He faced Bryce Harper again. And if you recall, remember back in June when the Brewers faced the Phillies and Bryce Harper faced Hobie Milner and Bryce just didn't swing. He just was up there looking. He got him to strike out again. <laughs> this time he did swing the bat, though. I just found that comical. The rematch there as well. Hobie Milner, your favorite reliever's favorite reliever. Then it was Yoel Piomps. And this is when Yoel started to leak some oil. This is when folks started to see signs like, okay, this guy is pitching more than he's ever pitched before in his career. Let's make sure he can get through the end of the year, right? He he had a 179 ERA on August 11th. By the end of this game, it would be up by almost a full run at 247. It would be the third time in four games he had allowed at least a run, and uh, it did not go well. In fact, he had to be lifted in the eighth inning because the Brewers felt, you know what, this is a good time to go for the four-out save with Devin Williams. The way that the rally began was a leadoff single, uh, excuse me, by a leadoff walk, of course, all rallies start with a leadoff walk to Alec Bohm, JT Realmuto, a line drive single, then an RBI single by Brandon Marsh. That made it a 3-2 game. Runners on first and second. Pioms managed to strike out Cave, but then get Schwarber to fly out. So there's two outs, runners on first and second. Devin Williams came in for the four-out save, and he hung a changeup to Trey Turner, and Devin talked about it after the game. The worst changeup he threw all year, a middle-middle, flat changeup. Turner was out in front of it. Like we, like we said a moment ago, this is when he was walking on water after the ovation from his Philly fans. He hits a three-run homer to take the lead off of the best closer in baseball, in my opinion. And all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, it's 5-3. The Phillies are in the lead. So you go to the bottom of the eighth inning. Brewers trailing. Jose Alvarado comes in to replace Gregory Soto, who pitched a scoreless seventh. And how's Jose Alvarado allows a leadoff single to Andrew Monasterio, the nine-hole hitter. So it either starts with a leadoff walk or a nine-hole base hit. That's how rallies always begin. Yelly would ground out. It was a force out, though, so he's on first. One out. Contreras singled, first and second. Santana walks to load the bases. Then, with Alvarado on the mound, of course, lefty, Craig Council pulled Sal Freelich to go for Tyrone Taylor. He would draw a bases-loaded walk to make it a one-run game. Willie would strike out swinging, though, with the bases loaded. So now we're thinking, oh, no. Here we go. What are you going to do? Owen Miller, who had come in earlier in the game to pinch hit, now Owen Miller, falls behind into a 2-2 count on the fifth pitch of the at-bat. Chaos. The stretch, the pitch. Bouncer hit to third and pass. Boom! Two runs are going to score. Maybe three. The throw coming home. A couple of things from that play in particular. Bohm, not particularly known for his defense. Of course, a year ago, he had the mouth of, you know, I bleeping hate this place after a few errors in a game, then Philly rallied behind him. And he had been okay, league average, just below league average to this point in the year. And in fact, he wouldn't make another error 
for the last month of the season, whether it was at third or at first. He didn't make another error until game seven, or game six, sorry, of the uh, NLCS. So uh, Alec Boehm kind of locked it in after that. His team rallied behind him and uh, tried to get things going. Also, Devin Williams came back out for the ninth and shut the door. I thought that was very impressive by Devin. You know, maybe you you change something up, and now that you have the save and after you blew it, can you get back out there and get back on track? He did. One, two, three, no problem for Devin to get back after it. uh, He had a really, really good frame to get on track. So this was big because that clinched at least a split with the Phillies for the season series. Uh, It also kept them back on the winning ways after losing back-to-back games against the Cubs. And the Cubs had lost on this this day, too. So they're now up three and a half games in the NL Central at the time. Of course, as we know, the Brewers would end up winning this series in a chaotic fashion. They almost swept them as well after Sunday's wacky game on Peacock. But this was a fun game. This is number nine, the Phillies and the Brewers. The bases loaded error by Alec Bohm, and maybe the photo of the year. It's my favorite photo when Tyrone is sliding in, and William Contreras is emphatically putting out safe. I think or, uh, whoever is behind him is putting out safe, and the home plate umpire, John Tumpain, is safe, and Tyrone's like helmets flying off. I, I love that photo. It's one of my favorites of the year. That's our number nine game of the year. On to number eight now, and let me say now, as we're on our third game of this countdown, Not all games are going to have a ton of highlights, and this is one of them. But I was at this game working, and one of my favorite games of the year for a multitude of reasons. We're going to go back to the Pirates in town on August 5th. Why is this game significant to me? Because first and foremost, the Pirates, they had kind of had the Brewers number. They had given them fits. Now, earlier in this series, though, the Brewers won 14-1 to on Thursday night, but they lost the next night 8-4. to Brewers still firmly uh, in first place, but they're only up by a game and a half. They had just lost first place in the previous week against the Braves. Now they're back in first place after the Cubs struggling, and this is when pandemonium's happening. No one's really happy with what happened with the trade deadline, but I digress. The reason why this game was important to me was the unsung heroes that provided in this game. This is what I call the Blake Perkins game. Also, this is a game that the Brewers did it against one of the best closers in baseball, David Bednar, and they got away with Corbin Burns not having his best stuff. And and all season long, the Pirates, and really since last year, the Pirates have been extraordinarily patient with Corbin Burns. They drew four walks against Corbin in this game. Remember that no-hitter bid he had against the the Pirates in 2022 where he had like three or four walks, but he had no hits allowed into the sixth inning, really making him work? Not like Corbin Burns, right? We don't see a ton of walks from him versus other teams. So the Pirates just have his number in regard to that. And, of course, a couple of those walks came around to score, but he still pitched solid. And one thing about this game that... Looking back on the recap and reading up about it, in the sixth inning, it's two to one. Okay, I, I'm skipping a run score because not much really happened at this point. It's two one Pirates in the sixth inning. Burns is over a hundred pitches. The runners on first and second and two outs. The bullpen has been moving. There's certainly reason to go pull him. Craig Council actually left the dugout to go. You would think get Corbin Burns. But no, he did one of the rarest things I ever seen. I think he only did this two or three times all year last year. Council himself went out and did not take the starting pitcher with him. He talked to Corbin. Corbin convinced him I can get Key Brian Hayes, and he did. He got on the strikeout on a cutter. So that's the kind of stuff that 
maybe gets lost in the box score or you don't remember about, but a little thing like that gave it a little mojo, but the Brewers were still trailing two to one for the majority of this game. Then David Bednar arrived in the ninth inning, but more about this game and, and why it mattered to the Brewers and some of the new guys on this team. Carlos Santana, one of the newest Brewers, facing his old club for the first time over the weekend. He knew he was going to get traded when he got signed by the Pirates in the offseason. He had only been a Brewer for about a week. He had dealt with that virus. He was not feeling that great. He was a little under the weather, and he was still gaming through it. And he led off the ninth inning against his former teammate, David Bednar, with a base hit to right field. And he was quickly lifted for by a pinch runner, the Blake Perkins game. That's right. All of Blake Perkins stuff happened off the bench in this game. So Perkins is at first base running for Santana. The next batter, Adamas, down by a run. He clocked one to right, but it's caught on the warning track by Leo Verpiguero. Blake Perkins shocked everybody and had the guts of a burglar. And Adamas, a high fly ball right field. Palacios on the track will make the catch. Perkins is going to tag the throw. Perkins is safe. Palacios surrounded it, made a good throw just a little bit late. That audio courtesy, Bally Sports, Wisconsin. Massive play by Blake Perkins. He's into scoring position. Nobody, or excuse me, one out in the inning. Sal Freelick was the next batter. The first pitch was a wild pitch. So Perkins now gets to third. You don't need a hit. Now you can have a sacrifice fly to score him. Didn't matter. Sal knows his nickname, the hit collector. And the pitch. Lined in the left center of base We're tied at two. And Freelick came off the bench in this game as well. This was his second at-bat of the game, pinch-hitting earlier in the contest because the Pirates had started a lefty in Bailey Falter. And he was only two weeks into his big league career. His debut came on July 22nd, a game that you may hear a little bit later on in this countdown. But the Brewers tied things up 2-2 two to two as we move on now to the 10th inning. Lots of changes here. There was uh, some movement off the bench. Mark Cannon went to play first. Perkins remained in the game in center because Santana was pinch ran for. Freelick moves to right. Then uh, they have the placed runner. It was supposed to be the catcher. They go with Andy Rodriguez. Doesn't matter. It's Devin Williams on the mound. Strikes out Josh Palacios. A ground out for Brian Reynolds. And then finally, old friend Andrew McCutcheon. On its way. Struck him out swinging. Fastball up in the zone, and Devin Williams puts up a zero in the top of the 10th. So once again, this was a theme a lot of year. The Brewers pitching staff did a great job in extra innings, not allowing the placed runner to score. That Hobie Milner way of thinking with inherited runners. Bottom of the 10th inning, the placed runner is Victor Caratini. You can't run for him because William Contreras is already in the game as a designated hitter. So they aren't they don't carry three catchers. So he is going to be your guy as the winning run at second base. Brian Anderson, first batter. He struck out. They intentionally walk Mark Cannon out with one out to set up the double play. Christian Yelich would ground out, but he would beat it out. Or rather, a ground out to first, I beg your pardon. So it moved runners to second and third with two outs. William Contreras is intentionally walked to load the bases and once again set the stage for the guy who did not start the game, the guy who is the number eight game of the season, Blake Perkins, his biggest moment of the year. 2-1 coming. Swing and a base hit to right. Caratini scores and Blake Perkins is the hero tonight. 
The dugout empties in shallow center field with two away. Blake Perkins stayed inside of a changeup on the outside corner. Perkins loses his jersey. And he hits the game winner tonight, his first career walk-off knock. He tied it with his legs in the ninth inning, and he wins it with his bat in the tenth. So after this game, the Brewers moved to a game and a half up in the Central Division. They would actually never relinquish the division the rest of the year. In fact, this was the closest it would get, this one and a half games for the rest of the year. This is August 5th. It got tight, remember, with that Cubs series at the end of the month when uh, they they took two out of three down at Wrigley. But they were still up three games at the end of that, and then by the end of the season, they finished up nine games on the Central. So a big win for the Brewers over the Pirates, our number eight game of the year. To number seven, we remain in August. Later in the month, mentioned the big winning streak earlier in this episode. This is right in the middle of it. The Twins, the border battle in town after the Brewers had lost two heartbreakers at Target Field earlier in the year. That was back in May when they were at an all-time low after getting swept by the A's, and then they lose back-to-back games in Minneapolis. Now they're back at in American Family Field playing great. They just had their longest trip of the year the White Sox, the Dodgers, and the Rangers. We all remember how that went in L.A., but they had swept the White Sox and they had swept the Rangers, the eventual World Series champions. And now they're back home after an off day, sleeping in their own beds. They win against the Twins 7-3. to And then the bullpen really shined on Wednesday, the day game against Minnesota. A quick note about this game, if you recall, if you were at this contest. One of the hottest games ever in American Family Field history. It was 97 degrees at first pitch. Remember, they had the the roof half open uh, and trying to create as much shade as they could for the fans. Remember, I, I'm an Arizonan. Heat's no big deal to me. I understand why it's a big deal without the AC at American Family Field. You know, just fans, not much circulation in there. They did the best they could. It was a hot, hot, hot day for a ball game at American Family Field, 97 degrees at first pitch. So this was a game, it was Corbin Burns against Kenta Maeda, and everyone was dealing with the heat. Also, the ball was absolutely jumping at the ballpark. Burns gave up three homers in this game, six earned runs over six innings. You're like, wait a minute, how did this happen? None of them were hit particularly hard. And the other thing that stunk about it, all three of them, we're with two outs off of Burns as well. Royce Lewis, Michael A. Taylor, and Kyle Farmer. Now, Royce obviously had an incredible second half and a solid playoff run for the Twins. Those other two guys you don't exactly think of when you think of homers, but Michael A. T- Taylor, I didn't realize this until doing this research. He very quietly had a great year for the Twins. He hit 21 homers this year. I had no idea. That was a career-high in home runs for normally a defender first. Michael A. Taylor, but I digress. This game was wacky right from the jump. You could tell the ball was jumping out of the yard. Twins got a run in the first inning. Brewers responded in the bottom of the first. 1-0 pitch, and this is lined into left, and it is going to drop in there for a base hit. Yelich is in. Contreras around third. He will score. Here comes the throw to second, and Monasterio is out, but the run at the plate will count. The Brewers have a 2-1 lead. So then the first of those three homers I mentioned will be hit by Royce Lewis in the top of the third inning. That would make it 3-2 Twins once again. And a response on one of those wall scrapers I'm kind of alluding to with the ball really flying out. You're not quite sure if it's going to get out while Bill was the beneficiary. Wind up again. 3-2. 
Swung on, hit in the air, deep into center field, back on it goes Taylor, back onto the track, at the wall, it is gone! William Contreras ties the game right back up. 3-3, a leadoff home run here in the bottom of the third inning for Contreras. I mean, you get the idea, home runs all over the place. There were six total home runs in this game, and it felt like the Brewers were always on the catch-up, always coming from behind. Or Solo homer by the Twins, the Brewers would have to respond. Another homer by the Twins, Brewers would have to respond. Willie Adamas would be next to respond in the bottom of the sixth inning. And a 1-2 to Adamas. is a high fly ball, deep center field. Michael A. Taylor back, track, bye, bye, baseball! Willie Adamas with his second home run of the series and his 21st of the year. A two-run shot in the Brewers within a run. It's 6-5 Minnesota. And then the next tying home run for the Brewers was maybe the one that didn't need the heat at all. Tyrone Taylor with his longest blast of the season. The 0-1 pitch. High drive, deep left, way back. This is on its way. This is way gone. We're tied. Tyrone Taylor. 6-6, the score in the seventh inning. So it's 6-6. Let me fast forward. Both closers had the ninth. Devin Williams struggling in the heat. Remember, the long sleeves, trying to keep sweat. He was blowing his fingers, trying to keep them dry. The grip matters for the changeup. He is mentioned before that sticky isn't great for him but also slipping is not great either he wants just dry fingers to have the grip for his changeup he was struggling in the sweat nonetheless he got a strikeout he left two men stranded in the top of the ninth Joan Duran one of the best pitchers in baseball again he also leaves a man stranded in the bottom of the ninth inning leaving Yelich stranded after a walk so we go to extras once again and it was only fitting that after all of those home runs 12 runs total, all of them scoring, all but the double by Monasterio scoring by Homer, that a couple of swinging bunts would get the job done in this one. Piguero would have the top of the 10th inning, a leadoff walk to Carlos Correa, first and second, but then he got Royce Lewis to ground into a double play. Runner on third, two outs, a walk to Max Kepler, and then Ryan Jeffers was the batter with an 0-2 count. Twins down to their last strike. He hits a little dribbler up the third baseline, and Jeffers stumbled as he reached to first base. I mean, it was a, a full-on hilarious, you know, chalk line type thing you would do for your home team if you were ending up winning this game. But he manages to be safe. A swinging bunt up the third base line gave them the lead 7-6. to six. The Brewers would quickly respond in the bottom of the 10th inning. Durant stretches and throws. Swinging a ground ball back through the middle. Straight into center field for a base hit. Around third comes Santana. And charging to field, Michael A. Taylor overran the ball. Tying run is home. Adamas moves to second base. 7-7 game as Willie delivers. What was kind of wild is, it, looking at the replay again for this, it looked like Michael A. Taylor was like, expecting the game was over. Like, he didn't immediately go back for the baseball. Granted, his left fielder was there, too, but it was, it was just... I, I think he charged the ball so hard because he thought the game was still tied because of how wild the swinging bunt was in the top of the 10th. And I digress. Doesn't matter. Two batters later, uh, runners are... Runner on third, Bryce Terang, two outs. It's Adamas on third, and uh, Terang... Still just back. He had only been back in the big leagues for a few weeks at this point. Obviously, the rosters had expanded also to 28, so they need him to play his glove at second base. He had been getting pinch hit for at this point. Uh, He sticks in there. 
Works a two and two count. Sixth pitch of the at bat. How fitting that with the hottest day of the year and all the balls flying out of the yard, the, the three most important runs of the game, a swinging bunt in the top of the 10th, then a clean single up the middle, and this from Terang. The 2-2 pitch. Chops softly towards third. This is a tough play. Charging Lewis. Jumps, throws on the run. It's not in time. Brewers win. Bryce Terang put the ball in play. He hit it softly to third, and he beats out a walk-off infield single. 8-7. Milwaukee completes the sweep in the 10th. There you have it, game number seven in our top ten games of the year countdown. The wild infield hit walk-off single for Bryce Terang. Brewers win 8-7 to seven back on August 23rd. Game number six is going to be one of those lighter highlight ones because of the significance of this game and what it meant for the rest of the year and what it means for the rest of the division. Game number six is July 26th against the Reds. It was the last matchup of the season against Cincinnati. And and a reminder of what the team looked like at this point and how important this series was. Remember in July how much the Brewers faced the Reds going into and out of the All-Star break and then another series two weeks later. Then boom, that was going to be it for the rest of the season. After the Brewers won the first series at home, two out of three, and of course the loss featured the Epic Ellie De La Cruz stealing three bases in the span of four pitches, including stealing home off Elvis Peguero, but I digress. The the big part of it was the Brewers pitching continued to reign supreme, even without Brandon Woodruff. Wade Miley was great. Corbin Burns was great, but Freddie Peralta especially was fantastic. The Brewers had three consecutive shutouts, including one nothing on the last day of the first half and one nothing on the first day of the second half. Then they won 3 nothing in Cincinnati. Then they won 4-3 in Cincinnati, then took that momentum to take a series from the Philadelphia Phillies. But now, the next two series, Atlanta at home and Cincinnati at home. They lost the series to the Braves. Sal Freelich, his debut featured. More on that later in this show. But then also these Reds. And they continue to be hot. Ellie De La Cruz kind of at the peak of his powers at this point when the Brewers were welcoming in the Reds for the last series of the year. And if you remember this series, this was the series that the Brewers could not buy a hit with a runner in scoring position. Christian Yelich had the walk-off on Monday night in that game 3-2 to two, that the Brewers went a total of 2-for-16 with runners in scoring position. They only scored three runs. In fact, of all three games, they had a base runner in all but two of the innings that they had offense. All but two innings against the Reds, they had at least one base runner every inning. They win the first one in the walk-off. They lose game two on Tuesday. And all of a sudden now, the Central is down to a half game. This is the closest it's going to be the rest of the year. So the winner of this series... It was going to be massive because you would be in first place moving forward. The Brewers had already clinched the season series at this point. They were already 9-3 and three against the Reds. So a win would just keep them in first place. In the event of a tie, the Reds still would lose the division but probably be in a wild card. And we're thinking, oh my goodness, how do you stop Ellie De La Cruz? What do you do? This guy is the talk of baseball. Some people were trying to argue that he should have been in the uh, All-Star game and in the Home Run Derby. But... The Brewers started to figure something out against Ellie De La Cruz in this game specifically, and specifically by Freddie Peralta. Freddie had, in my opinion, his best start of the year, and maybe his most important one. He went, and against a quality opponent too, six shutout innings, 
13 strikeouts on the heels of giving up six against the Braves five days ago. This was his best start of the year, striking out Ellie De La Cruz three times. 13 strikeouts, matched his career high. He would do it again two weeks later against the Colorado Rockies at home on August 7th. But for Freddie to deliver this, and I remember I went went into the clubhouse after the game after this, and I asked him, you know, how did, how did you figure it out? Why are you the guy that's suddenly able to figure out Ellie De La Cruz? And he said, you got to mix locations with him. You got to get him up and down, up and down. He got him with three different pitches, an elevated fastball, a curveball, and a slider. He, he was so smart against him. Ellie, in that series, went a total of two for 13, and the one of those two hits was the home run that went out of the stadium after the Jumbotron was making fun of him. So that was this series as well. He would go to L.A., and he was fantastic in L.A. He went. He had a great series there, did Ellie De La Cruz. But that was when the, you know, the hole started to appear. Of like, wait a minute, he's got a lot of swing and miss. In the month of August, Ellie De La Cruz, he hit 198 with 44 strikeouts in 106 at-bats. Ridiculous that, you know, he looked like he was walking on water in July, and now in August he became... Human, because the major leagues are very, very hard. Elie La Cruz is going to be a star moving forward. But the the catch of all this, Freddie turning in his best start of the year, the game was scoreless. It was it was a very well pitched game uh, on the other side as well. The Ben Lively pitched into the seventh inning. He was pitching fine, and then the Brewers started a little rally as they have been doing in seemingly every game in the bottom of the seventh inning. Abraham Toro, there's that guy again. He had a one-out single, and Tyrone Taylor came to the plate. Lively kicks and delivers the pitch, and Tyrone a high drive. Left field, Benson back, track, gone! Taylor with a two-run shot, and the Brewers break the ice. It's two-to-nothing crew here in the seventh. That would be all the Brewers would need in the game. Andre Monasterio would add an RBI double as well to make it a 3-0 final. But it also gives me an excuse. Devin Williams came in for his seventh save of the season just against the Reds alone. He was as dominant as ever. More on that in a second. The pitch. This was one of three games the Brewers accumulated 18 strikeouts as a pitching staff in a single game of a nine-inning game, mind you. Twice it was against the Reds. Uh, One of them was on July 14th. That was the first game coming out of the All-Star break. That was started by Corbin Burns. Then this one started by Freddie Peralta. The other was out in Texas on uh, August 19th. That was the 8-1 game two of the series. And that game was started... Also by Freddie Peralta, he had 11 strikeouts in that game. But on Devin, I, I tweeted this when he won the uh, National League Reliever of the Year award again, and his numbers against the Reds in particular were absolutely bonkers, and I'm just pulling them up now just to make sure I don't mess it up again. But here's the gist of it. The Reds went 0 for 27 all season against Devin Williams. In essence, a no-hitter, right? 27 outs. Devin Williams threw a no-hitter, 0-for-27, against the Reds this season. He pitched in quite a bit of leverage against Cincinnati. Did not allow a single run. He only walked three batters. He struck out 17. Zero hits. Zero for 27. Three walks and 17 strikeouts. 
a perfect seven for seven in saves for the Swing and Miss Merchant. And in case you missed that, if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about there, uh, there was a Cincinnati Twitter account slash fan blog, you know, it, message board days. I'm I'm not putting too much stake in it. Be a fan. I love it. Be a fan. It's fine. Called Natty Sports, you know, Cincinnati. And was complaining that the Reds earlier in the year were just swinging and missing all the time at Devin Williams, just calling him a swing and miss merchant. Just be up there and take pitches. Stop chasing the changeup. And, you know, I you know, chimed in because I don't know how to keep my mouth shut. And I just was like, dude, you, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, this is, if it was that easy, everybody would just be up there standing and waiting for walks. Does Devin walk a lot of guys? Yes. Does he also strike out even more guys? Yes. And to call him just a swing and miss merchant while your team went 0 for 27 with 7 for 7 saves, you don't know ball. I'm sorry. Be a fan of your team. Nothing but love for the Reds. I think they're going to be a really good team in 2024. But they went 0 for 27 against Devin in 2023. Zero. Zero hits. 17 strikeouts. That's some ridiculous stat line. So July 26th, clinching the last series of the year against the Reds. Remaining in first place in the Central Division. They were only a half game up. They would be a game and a half up after this game. And uh, it would be the closest the Reds would get for the rest of the season. The Brewers would briefly fall out of first place a week later when they went to Atlanta and lost the series to Washington. But then after a couple of acquisitions, Carlos Santana was actually acquired on the next day, July 27th. Mark Hanna was acquired three days later as well. And things started to turn in the right direction. Let's go to number five now, shall we? Number five, speaking of those Nats, I wanted to put this game higher. I really did. But as we get into the good stuff, these are the games that are like, yeah, no doubt, good call. These are my top five games of the 2023 season. And we will start September 16th, one of those new acquisitions I just mentioned, the Mark Canna game. Deals again. Space hit to center. Two runs are going to score or not. Nope, the throw is going to be cut off. And at third, they will hold Contreras. This was game two of the series against the Nationals, and this is when people started to taste it a little bit. They just won the previous night against the Nats. Epic back-to-back homers from William Contreras and Carlos Santana. The, the Cubs are in free fall, and the Cubs are losing again on this day, Saturday, September 16th. So with a victory, the Brewers could be six and a half games clear of the Cubs with just 14 games to go. So this was a game that you're starting to feel like it could happen. You could see the offense was clicking better. Another thing about this game, it was Corbin Burns' first start since the eight no-hit innings he had in New York when the Brewers lost that game in extra innings, lost that game in 13. They had the no-no into the 11th, and they lose it. Yada, yada, we don't have to bring it all back up. Corbin actually started this game with two more one, two, three innings. So he actually threw 10 consecutive no-hit innings in this game. But more on Corbin a little bit later. That highlight you just heard was Mark Canna, an RBI single up the middle. The Brewers got to work quickly against the Nationals and Trevor Williams, as much as it pains me, a Sun Devil and a good dude, one of the great guys in the game. Uh, Trevor Williams did not have his best stuff today. Mark Canna, a line drive single up the middle. Adamas lined out for a sacrifice fly. Roddy Telez hit a little squib, a stoinker, if you will, into shallow center field. In fact, for the Brewers, seven, six of the first seven batters actually reached against Trevor Williams, and they scored three times. 
in the bottom of the first inning with Corbin Burns seemingly having the A stuff in this game. In the third inning, though, the no-hit streak ended. A solo homer fight, Luis Garcia. But hey, no big deal. It's 3-1. to one. Brewers are still in command of this game as they're now dipping into the Nationals' bullpen. Remember, the Brewers lost a series earlier in the year in Washington. So they wanted to get back on track with this one, win the series on this Saturday night, and then coast into Sunday. They have used a lot of their bullpen the last couple of days. Keep that in mind because Devin Williams is not available tonight. He would have pitched in three consecutive games. It would have been a lot for him at this point in the season. Go to the fourth inning, Tyrone Taylor. He's been in a lot of these games, hasn't he? This was when he was white hot in September. 2-1 is a high drive to deep left field. Racing back is Alou. second is gone. Tyrone Taylor stays hot. His seventh home run of the season, and the Brewers lead it 4-1. Tyrone very quietly in the month of September, the final month of the year, and of course he hit a home run in game one of the wild card series against the Diamondbacks. Tyrone, he hit 291 in the last month of the season, playing in 23 of those games. He hit five homers. He had nine doubles. It was a 9-12 OPS. Now, he was a bit of feast or famine at times. He had 24 strikeouts in those 79 at-bats. But still, he was showing some production, and it was a big piece for the Bruce because in the middle of this, too, Yelly was having some back issues as well. So he wasn't actually playing in this game. They were trying to give him days off, give him some DHs, and give him some breathers here and there. So Tyrone's production down the stretch was massive for the crew. But back to Corbin Burns. Things started to get off the rails for him after that home run for Tyrone Taylor. And all of a sudden, in the top of the sixth inning, Brewers now leading 5-1. to one. It all unraveled after a walk to C.J. Abrams. Corbin Burns was mad about walking Abrams. He's a base stealer. He tried to pick him off. He threw it away, allowed him to get second base anyway. Lane Thomas would strike out, though. So there's two outs, a runner on second base. No need to panic, right? Uh, Kbert Ruiz... A single, put runners on the corners with two outs, and then just the hits kept on, kept on coming. Joey Manessis, an RBI single. Then a walk to Dominic Smith. Then a, a single by Carter Keeboon. He got to, he got through on the right uh, up the middle on a great play by Bryce Terang. All of a sudden, it's now a 5-3 to three game with the bases loaded. A very close walk, check swing. Did he or did he not go? Luis Garcia reaches on a bases loaded walk. He is thus lifted. It brings a run home as well. That made it 5-4. to four. Burns did not get out of the sixth inning after throwing 10 consecutive no-hit frames. But now all of a sudden we got a game. It's a one-run game. The Brewers are deep inside of the Nationals' bullpen. Nothing really happening offensively for either club. In the top of the eighth inning, though, Peguero is done. Pioms is back in. I remember we talked about Pioms running out of gas earlier in the show, and this was really when it was at an all-time high. Here he is pitching in the eighth, really struggling. An infield single by Joey Manessas. He's quickly pinch-ran for by Michael Chavis. He manages to make it all the way to third after a two-out single by Garcia, and then a bloop single by Jake Alou falls in front of Mark Canna in left field, and that makes it a tied game 5-5. to Bottom of the eighth inning, chaos ensues. I'm going to play both calls for you here, but here's how the inning formed. It was all mostly uh, against Kyle Finnegan. Jose Ferrer started the inning. He got to ring the ground out in the left on left. So with one out, this rally formed. Tyrone Taylor, that man again, a double with one out. He's the go-ahead run. Sal Freelick was next. He hit an infield single on the left side. It put runners on first and second. Then, William Contreras grounded out back to the pitcher's mound, but it allowed the runners to get to second and third on a little tapper. They would walk Carlos Santana, and it was a close. I mean, it was a six-pitch, you know, two outs, 
Tough, tough pitch to lay off of Santana. Walks to load the bases, and it brings up Mark Canna. And I'm first going to play the TV call from Brian Anderson. The reason you may hear him say first pitch, he had just mentioned on television, remember, if you don't recall, I'm also the statistician for Valley Sports Wisconsin. I'm working with Brian Anderson during the postseason as well, and I was working with him on this game for Valley Sports Wisconsin. And I had handed him a note just before that because I keep every pitch by pitch in my scorebook, and I had noticed that for Canna, he had actually swung at the first pitch of his at-bats more often than usual. He's, you know, We think of him as a guy that works counts, as patient. He had actually swung at the first pitch in three of his four plate appearances in this game. So every now and then, I'll tap on B.A., to remind him, you know, I'll just put up a finger, first pitch. You know, look out. This guy loves to ambush first pitch. That's very normal. It's like a scouting report. A lot of guys, it's a whole team kind of thing. And uh, I just had a feeling. And I wrote down the note, three out of four. He swung at the first pitch, and I gave him the single, the signal, first pitch. And uh, you all know what happened next. Can on the first pitch. It's way back. It's going to be a grand slam. Electrifying moment on the first pitch, and it's nine to five. Broke crew in the eighth. Well, I think we have our new signature moment of the season. I oh my. Finnegan looks in to Canna. First offering to him. And a drive out to left. This is high, deep, gone. Mark Canna, backflip engaged. A grand slam. That would be the final score of this one as well. Uh, I had the viral tweet happen after the fact when I pointed out that Craig Council immediately sprang into action before the ball even dropped, that he wanted to change his bullpen plan. Uh, he had Trevor McGill ready to go if the game was tied, if it was going to be a save situation. Then he got Hobie Milner up, who had been getting up and down throughout the game because it wasn't a save. He wanted to save Trevor for another day. And yeah, that was the final, 9-5. Mark Canna, the moment of the year for the Brewers, maybe. But it's only number five in my countdown. I know what you're thinking. Dom, how on earth are there four games better than that one? That was one of the highlights of the entire season. You're not wrong. But you are wrong. <laughs> I still think these next three games are better than that one. These next four games, really, for that matter, are better than that one. So let's start with another electric moment for a newcomer on the team. But somebody that Brewers fans were already well aware of since spring training. His name is Sal Freelich. Number four on our countdown, July 22nd. The Atlanta Braves in town. National TV, Fox on the call, Tom Verducci, Ken Rosenthal, Adam Amin here. Big game feeling. Playoff atmosphere. The Henry Aaron series, if you will. The Braves and the Brewers. Game two of a three-game set against the best team in baseball by record, the Atlanta Braves. And the MLB debut of Sal Freelich. In order to make room for Freelich, they had DFA'd Rymel Tapia the day before to make room for Freelich on the roster. There was a lot of speculation back in late April that when Garrett Mitchell initially went down and they learned about the torn labrum, that maybe Sal Freelich would be the guy called up 
to fill in for Mitchell. But remember, Sal had torn the UCL in his thumb and was not able to join the team. And it would have been poetic because he was going to be facing the Boston Red Sox. Of course, he's from Boston, Lexington, and a Boston College uh, alum. But the the debut arrives. He's healthy. He wasn't off to the greatest of returns in AAA, but remember, Brewers fans got to know him through the YouTube series The Freshman, and we all know that he's a scrappy, undersized, bat-to-ball type guy, the kind of guy that you just root for. And just tough New England guy, all the cliches that you can think of. And he introduced himself in one heck of a way. And what was a classic game of the season? This is, again, our number four on the countdown, July 22nd against the Braves. Brewers lost the night prior by a 6-4 to final. In this game, it was Adrian Hauser against Alan Winans. Uh, Winans was making a spot start because they were trying to give Charlie Morton an extra day, and Jordan Smith-Shaver was up as well, but the Braves' rotation wasn't quite where they wanted it to be at this point in the year. But here, Saturday night, Ronald Acuna Jr. in the lineup, of course, the usual great lineup for the Braves. The Brewers still had Jesse Winker batting cleanup. He was DHing in this game. He had a big moment in this game, actually, though. Owen Miller was still playing first, and Blake Perkins was in center field. Sal Freelick got the start batting sixth and playing right field, and he had the debut of all debuts. We'll start things off, though, for the Brewers in the uh, top of the first inning. They escaped. Adrian Hauser escaped the jam. A leadoff single by Acuna. He stole second base, but... Hauser left two men stranded with a strikeout of Sean Murphy. The game would be scoreless until the third when Austin Riley hit a ball that still hasn't come down. A three-run shot in the top of the third inning, and the Brewers are like, oh, that's what the Braves do. They've hit more homers than anybody else. They finished the season with a slugging percentage over 500. Think about that for a second. Their slugging percentage as a team was over 500. Now they're up 3-0 against Adrian Hauser, but Sal Freelick is still in the game. He had got a hit in his first MLB at-bat, a little single through the left side, and the Brewers were ready to go the next time he came to the plate. We picked things up in the bottom of the fifth inning. Freelick was leading off the frame, and he got a single. Again, his second hit as a big leaguer. Owen Miller was next. He ripped a double. That went through the left side. So runners on second and third, and nobody out in the bottom of the order getting it done. Here it is. Swinging a drive in the center. Warning track and going to be caught there. And here comes Frelick on the turn goes Owen Miller and the Brewers are on the board. It's 3-1 now. Now the 1-1 delivery. Swinging a base hit to right. Here comes Owen Miller to score. And Perkins knocks in a run with a solid base hit to right. A Terang sack fly, a Perkins RBI single, all of a sudden, this was a one-run game. Meanwhile, Hauser was locking things down. He was keeping the Braves at bay. But he got some serious help from his defense and that new guy in right field twice in the top of the sixth inning. Ozuna goes the other way. Well-struck ball. Freelick back to the track at the wall. Leaps and makes the catch. What a play. Welcome to the bigs on the defensive end for Freelick. that easy, huh? <laughs> There's Arcia, former Brewer, goes to right center field. Long run for Perkins and for Freelich. Freelich does it again! Oh! 
dropping debut on defense for the Freelich family. Thank you to Fox and Adam Amin for that audio. Adam's awesome, guys. I, I'm a huge fan of Adam Amin. Great dude. Known him for a few years now, but I'm really happy he got those calls for Sal Freelich. But yes, he makes two epic catches. But oh, by the way, the Brewers are still trailing. They still need to get something done. They still need to find a way to get this game through. Well, bottom of the sixth inning, doesn't it always work like this? Where you make a great play on defense and you're going to hit in the bottom of the inning. That's how it always works. Jesse Winker, a one-out walk to start this rally. Andrew Monasterio hit a single through the right side. It put runners on first and second with one out. Sal Freelich the batter, and he got the job done. New sign and tongue can ready. Freelich, base hit to left. Here comes the tie run. And Sal Freelich is having a storybook night tonight. You cannot write it any better than he just did. It ties the game. Winker made a great read at second base on a secondary. Obviously, it was a ground ball, so he had to take off. But he knew where the left fielder was going to be. He knew where the shortstop was going to be. He was going to get sent no matter what. And he came in to score and didn't even force a throw. Great stuff. Rosario doesn't have a great arm. So really worked out for Winker. That ties the game. Of course, Freelick wasn't done yet. And this was one of the crazier plays of the night. We fast forward now. To the bottom of the eighth inning, Willie Adamas led off with a double off of Joe Jimenez, but then Winker would strike out swinging, and that's when the Boo Birds were really out for Winker. So one out, man on second. Ground ball to short hit by Monasterio, and Adamas took off for third. I mean, nobody would recommend it. The ball was hit to his right. He still went to third. They tried to get the runner over there in Arcia, but it was a dropped catch at third base by Austin Riley. So the fielder's choice allowed Monasterio to reach, but the double play was still in order. Men on the corners, one out. Here he is again, Sal Freelich. Jimenez deals, swinging a liner to right. It's going to be caught. Here comes the throw. Here comes the runner, and he's in there. The ball got by Murphy. The Brewers took the lead 4-3. Adamas not the fleetest of foot. Acuna threw it 100 miles an hour, but it short-hopped Murphy. It got through him. Wow, what a night. And then the ninth inning wasn't a walk in the park for Devin Williams, if you recall. Devin Williams, he got a K on Marcelo Zuna. But then a single by Rosario, a pinch runner as the tying run at first. He steals second, then he steals third. With one out, you've got the tying run in sacrifice fly position. But he got Arcia to strike out. But then he walked both Michael Harris and Ronald Acuna to load the bases for Ozzy Albies, who struck out on maybe he foul-tipped it, maybe he didn't. Nobody could tell for sure, but he got the strikeout. They evened the series at a game apiece, and Sal Freelich's debut was epic. And it is number four on our list of games of the year. I can hear you still. Dom, there are three games better than the Sal Freelick game? Yes. Yes, there are. So let me just recap of how we've gotten to here right now in case you've forgotten. If you just want to refresh or a quick breather. As we get into the top four, or top three rather. Number 10, Joey Weimer's walk-off against the Orioles on June 6th. Number 9, the error by Alec Bohm off the bat of Owen Miller against the Phillies back on September 1st. Number eight, August 5th against the Pirates. That was Blake Perkins' walk-off in extra innings. 
Number seven, August 23rd against the Twins. Hottest day of the year. Infield single by Bryce Terang wins it in the border battle. The Brewers at that point had won eight games in a row. Number six, July 26th against the Reds. The last game of the year against Cincinnati. Freddie had a shutout and 13 strikeouts. The team had 18 to match their season high. And number five was the Mark Canna game, his grand slam against the Nats on September 16th. Number four, you just heard Sal Freelich's debut against the Braves on July 22nd. Let's go to another debut and a game that didn't really mean much for the Brewers and playoff impacts, but maybe one of the most memorable Wisconsinite debuts maybe ever. We go to September 29th, the final series of the year against the Cubs, the Caleb Bosley game. A couple of things to start with on laying the groundwork of this game. The Brewers had already clinched the Central. They have already clinched the three seed. They quite literally have nothing to play for because there is nothing they can do to improve their standing. There is nothing they can do to hurt it. So they are stuck in the three seed. They are going to prioritize rest over wins. There is nothing that matters. That may have been a surprise to the Marlins, but they understood because the Marlins were still holding on to that third wild card spot, entering this day a half game clear of the Cubs. Remember, it got wacky this weekend, too, because that was the night, the night prior, rather, was when the Mets and the Pirates got rained out in the ninth inning when the Mets. Uh, had taken the lead and they needed to play the ninth inning and they never got the chance to because of the rain and nobody knew if they were going to make it up on Monday, even though the wild card series started on. It was a mess, if you remember. But the Cubs, they had just got swept by the Braves. Of course, the Brewers clinched the Central thanks to Seiya Suzuki dropping the ball in right field in Atlanta. I was there with B.A. That was wild to listen to the celebration on the radio after the game. But then the just... You know, watching the Cubs fans still pour into American Family Field, begging and begging and begging, like, please, they're starting Colin Ray today. We've got Kyle Hendricks. Gotta get this win. You gotta get it done. They didn't. But this was a good pitching matchup once again. Kyle Hendricks, Colin Ray, the kings of contact, the kings of soft contact, if you will. And nothing was really happening. Kind of a theme of how things went down the stretch for uh, the Cubs offense. They just fell apart in August and September after that last series at Wrigley against the Brewers. So Kyle Hendricks, he would work into the fifth inning while he was still coming back from shoulder issues. He was on a pitch count, which is why he was lifted in the fifth inning. But there was some damage put against him. This game was scoreless through four in the bottom of the fifth inning. Activity finally started, started to get going. Victor Caratini led off with a single. Bryce Terang followed with a bunt single. We saw a lot more of that in September from Bryce. So runners on first and second. A walk to Yelly loaded the bases for William Contreras. Now, he would hit a ground ball toward the middle that looked like a tailor-made double play for Nico Horner. But he bobbled it, and it was only a fielder's choice. He only got the out at second. A runner was going to score regardless. But instead of two outs and a runner on third, it was instead... One out and runners on the corners, which isn't the end of the world. You can still turn two and get out of the inning. But the reason why I bring that up is because it meant that Cody Bellinger had to hold on William Contreras at first. Now, he wasn't holding him super closely, but he still had to hold him on at first base and then bounce him off the back and go field his position. That's significant because the next batter, Carlos Santana, 
took advantage of that defensive alignment. He's running, runner goes, swinging a rocket fair down the right field line, into the corner, all the way, Perang is in, Contreras is going to score, on the third goes Carlos Santana, with a three-bagger, and the Brewers lead Chicago 3-0. Something not lost on this game is the quality of Colin Ray and what he was able to do when he came back to the Brewers. After his first handful of starts didn't go so great, his last month or so gave the Brewers a chance to win every single time. Five shutout innings against the Cubs as they needed this win badly. They needed to win, period. They needed to win out. And Colin Ray kept them at bay, an unsung hero. Another unsung hero who I haven't mentioned yet, Bryce Wilson. The year that Bryce Wilson had as a swingman, it's not a sexy role. It's not a role that anybody writes home about or says, this guy deserves MVP votes. But gosh darn it, every single guy in that clubhouse knows it. And he was the unsung hero award uh, winner this year for the Brewers. Uh, Some folks brought up Hobie Milner. I'm like, well, he's been sung. He won it in 2022. So Hobie Milner is certainly great as well. But those two guys, Colin Ray and Bryce Wilson, Really, really, really important seasons for the Brewers in 2023. And real ones know how how important it was to get contributions from those guys. Because as I mentioned a moment ago, none of the leverage guys are going to pitch these final three games of the year. They're just not. The Brewers know they're going to be in a wild card series. They want to have the guys as fresh as possible. Maybe they pitch on Saturday. Maybe they pitch on Sunday because you get that off day on Monday. But there's no reason to push it with any of the leverage arms. More on that in a moment. Now we move on to the seventh inning. Clayton Andrews, another guy who made his debut this season. He has a scoreless seventh. He comes back out for the eighth inning because why not? A leadoff homer by Jamer Candelario. Christian from Morel then ripped a triple down a left field line. And Jan Gomes had an RBI ground out. All of a sudden, this is a one-run game, but you may be thinking, like, well, we'll go get somebody. Like I just said, they're not going to use any of the main leverage arms, so it's all about the new guys. Caleb Bosley was just added to the roster earlier that day for this exact scenario for somebody to eat some innings when they didn't want to use one of their primary guys that is going to be used in the postseason. Uh, He was originally drafted by the Padres back in the day. He's a Hortonville native, so it felt like all of Hortonville was in the ballpark when he entered for his big league debut. He estimated about 400 friends and family were in the ballpark that night. They all had signs of his headshot from Nashville. And uh, the Boz, as his nickname is, Caleb Bosley, he, he's done like some color commentaries. He's done some play-by-play down in AAA with Jeff Hamm with the Nashville Sounds. He's a fun personality. And his story is incredible, too. He went to junior college to a two-year college. He went to UW-Fox Valley. Doesn't have, you know, athletic department. He played club baseball there, then transferred to UW-Lacrosse, where he played baseball on that team, and he eventually got drafted by the Padres. 33rd rounder in 2017. He spent time with them filling innings. He was acquired by the Brewers as a minor league free agent a couple of years ago. And here he is making his big league debut with two outs and nobody on in the bottom of the eighth inning of a one-run game. And he made his presence known. Here it is. We'll go on the showcase up in Madison. Great moment. It was awesome. The crowd was rocking, super happy for Bosley. But then you realize he's going to have the ninth. No one else is coming in after him. So don't let all that adrenaline get to your head and don't, you know, don't turn into a pumpkin. And well, Ian Happ 
took advantage of a hanging breaking ball in the bot or in the top of the ninth inning and tied the game at three. So this game looked like it was going to be bound for extra. So let's go to the 10th inning, shall we? Bosley, of course, he's still on the mound. He was a starter mostly in AAA, so he can give you some length. It's no big deal. Top of the 10th inning. Place runners, Dansby Swanson. Remember, the Cubs need this game. Jimmer Candelario lines out to left field. Runner holds. So one out, man on second. Then a walk to Christopher Morrell was paired with a wild pitch. Now you got men on the corners with one out. So the double play is still in order, but the go-ahead run is 90 feet away. He gets Jan Gomes to strike out swinging for two outs. Mike Talkman's the next batter. Morrell steals during that at-bat. I-, I get why he did it. But also, I don't, because now that means they're going to take the bat out of Talkman's hands because they lose the platoon advantage, lefty in the box, righty on the mound. So they intentionally walk Talkman. Now you got an out at any base. That's some inside baseball there. Runners on the corners and two outs in a do-or-die situation, you don't need to take second base. A ball in the gap, you're probably going to score anyway. I understand why he stole second base, but also you had to see the intentional walk coming for a big swing-and-miss guy in Patrick Wisdom. And once again, just like he did the first time up, Caleb Bosley got his man again. The pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. Caleb Bosley. What a debut. Once again, the Brewers leave the place runner stranded. The Cubs failed to score in the top of the 10. So all the Brewers got to do is score one run in the bottom of the 10th inning. And it only took three pitches to end this one. 1-1. One, one. Hit down the left field line. This is a fair ball. It's going to roll all the way into the corner. Perkins around third. Santana has walked off the Cubs in game one of this series. Carlos Santana drives in Blake Perkins and the Brewers win it 4-3 here tonight at American Family Field. That win put the Cubs' playoff chances on life support. The Cubs won game two, but because the Marlins had won, they were into the postseason and uh, it was pretty much over with and the Cubs were not going to be postseason contenders. We all know what happened in the rest of the offseason, but that's the number three game of the year, the Caleb Bosley game. I loved his quote that he told Sophia Minute on the field after the game. He said, you know, I know there's 40,000 people in here, but all I can hear is the 10,000 from who from. All I can hear is the 10,000 people from Hortonville. So really awesome moment for Bosley. Congratulations to him and his family. He's a big leaguer for life and a very, very fun day. We still got two more games on this countdown, and we're finally going to go back to the first half. Remember, the first game on our countdown was a first half game. That was the Weimer walk-off. We're going to go all the way back now to week one of the season, the first series at home. The New York Mets in town, the highest payroll in baseball against the smallest market in baseball. All the pomp and circumstance, all the lines and everything. Max Scherzer's on the mound. What are you going to do against him, the Brewers and the Mets? Number two in our countdown, Garrett Mitchell, the walk-off. More on that in a moment. Sidebar, I just really hope we get to see a full season of Garrett Mitchell here in 2024. But looking at this game, reminder, the Brewers not only dominated the first two games against the Mets, this is the the opening of the home slate for the Brew Crew. They went 10-0 in game one, 9-0 in game two. The Mets hadn't scored a run in Milwaukee. And this lineup going up against uh, the left-hander David Peterson looked very different than what it looked like at the end of the season against lefties. Let me just read you the lineup 
and you know you can smile to yourself you can make comments with whoever you're listening with or think to yourself but here was the starting lineup in the sixth game of the season April 5th so like this is the team that you know they think like yeah this is going to be our lefty lineup this is going to be the squad that you know coming out of spring training the guys that are going to be the Southpaw Killers because they struggled so much with it in 2022. Mike Brasso was leading off at third base. Garrett Mitchell, by the way, did not even start this game. Left-handed, lefty-lefty, that's how the Brewers roll. Batting second was Willie. Yelly batted third. That didn't really change until him to be a permanent leadoff guy, including against lefties till about mid-late late May. Batting fourth was William Contreras, and he was he was catching. The five spot was Luke Voigt. The first baseman. I'm not gonna lie. I completely forgot Luke Voigt spent April with the Brewers. I just, I just completely forgot. Uh, Luke Voigt batting fifth, playing first base. Brian Anderson, the right fielder, he batted sixth. Jesse Winker, DH'd, batted seventh. And this was arguably the best game of his career in a Brewers uniform. Uh, more on that later. Owen Miller batted eighth. He started at second base. Joey Weimer ninth in center field. Corbin Burns was starting this game uh, up against David Peterson. Burns' first home start of the season, and it did not go well in the first inning. He allowed a run on a Francisco Lindor RBI double, allowed Starling Marte to score. Lindor had a great game, as did Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso tagged Corbin Burns for two home runs in this game. Maybe it was a sign, and we didn't even realize it at the time, of the home run issue all season long for Corbin Burns. Uh, he he allowed a whopping 22 home runs this season after allowing 23 the previous year. So it's something that he's going to have to clean up here heading into 2024. But I digress. Watching, re-watching this game and re-watching uh, the Mets broadcast, in case you miss anything, if you want to learn something from the opposite perspective. And if you don't watch the Mets whenever you get a chance, if you have MLB TV or if they're on MLB Network and you want to watch the Mets booth, it's the best. I mean, it is. I I watch them whenever I can, just because I think Gary Cohen's phenomenal. Uh, Ron Darling, I obviously work with him at TBS. Keith Hernandez is awesome. I think what they do is incredible. The director is fantastic. I I just it's my favorite broadcast aside from our own. Just being real, but I didn't realize this, and and I forgot about it. The slow start that Yelly had, and obviously he turned into a great season. But Yelly was really having trouble with strikeouts in the first handful of games of the year. The first 16 games, he had 26 strikeouts in his first 66 plate appearances. Excuse me, 66 at-bats. Like a 40% rate. That's not like Yelly. Obviously, he cooled that down and he got things going in May, but that that was a stat that Gary Cohen dropped that I totally forgot about. Anyway, I digress. Uh, The Mets scored in the first. They got a run. Then in the bottom of the second inning, the Brewers found a way to respond. It all started with a one-out walk by Brian Anderson, who was a notable Met killer even when his days with the Marlins. Then Jesse Winker ripped a double. More on that a little bit later, too. Uh, Jesse Winker hits a double. Owen Miller's next. Miller pulls a single through the left side. It scores a run. It puts men on the corners. And the kid, the golden retriever, as we would soon learn about a month or so later, Joey Weimer, remember, he did not make the team out of spring training. He was one of the last round of cuts. They decided to go uh, with Luke Voigt, and they decided to go with uh, a a different direction. They were there in the final week of the season, and him and Freelich were duking it out, trying to see if they were going to be the backup outfielder with Tyrone Taylor's injuries. Uh, But they decided ultimately that he 
wasn't going to be on the team, but then after one day, he comes right back to the big leagues because Luis Arias gets hurt, yada, yada. You know the story by now. Weimer still looking for his first big league home run, and he did it in a big way. Owen Miller, his first RBI of the year in the pitch. Hit to right and deep. Hey, get up. Get up. Get out of here and gone. Joey Weimer just hit a three-run shot out of here. And the crew has the lead. I was so excited about that swing, going to the opposite field, taking it the other way against the lefty. You could see why he had such a great season the year prior. I mean, he was the minor league player of the year two years prior. And, man, I mean, everything's turning up roses right in April. Everything seems like it's going to be super easy. Weaver uh, still turned in better numbers against lefties, which is how he was deployed in the final month of the season. He had an 815 OPS against lefties versus only a 568 OPS against righties. So something to keep an eye on throughout the 2024 season if we're going to see a platoon between him and Garrett Mitchell in center field, or South Freelick for that matter, in center field. But I digress. So it's 4-1 Brewers now, and you're thinking, man, they're, they're dominating the Mets yet again. And remember, all the discourse heading into this week, myself included, was, all right, biggest payroll against the Brewers. Everyone's complaining about the Mets owning the offseason, signing Scherzer, uh, signing Verlander, all these extensions to Nimmo, and what are they going to do with Pete Alonso? They signed Omar Narvaez. The rumor mill is flying about David Stearns, and obviously we know how that ended as well, but that was the worst-kept secret in baseball for the last couple of years. But yeah, here are the Brewers continuing to handle the Mets, and it's just a reminder, we play this game on the field, not on paper. Here we are in December, and people like to overreact to moves and everything like that, and you just never know. It's 162 games. Crazy things can happen. So the Brewers are up 4-1. to Quick little soapbox rant there. But we mentioned those two home runs by Pete Alonso. He hit another one in the top of the third to tie the game at four apiece after Francisco Lindor had a great game. He had an RBI single as well. So it's 4-4 now. And then Alonso added another homer off of Burns, the second of the game in the fifth inning, to make it 6-4 Mets. Their offense finally wakes up after getting shut out in the last two games. So Burns is lifted. Hobie Milner comes in to finish the fifth, and it was a, a bad home start for Corbin Burns. Brewers finally get David Peterson out of the game after Christian Yelich draws a leadoff walk in the bottom of the fifth inning. William Contreras flies out to right. Luke Voigt, another single. It put runners on the corners with one out for Brian Anderson. B.A. would strike out looking. And then finally, uh, this was a wild thing. I had to go back and look. Luke Voigt stole second base uncontested because it was a 1-2 count uh, during Jesse Winker's at-bat. Jesse Winker then works a great A.B. against Drew Smith. He was behind one and two, three pitches in. Then the runner steals second base, Luke Voigt. So two and two count, foul ball, ball, foul ball. And on the eighth pitch of the at-bat, Jesse Winker did what we all thought he was going to do all season long and delivered for the Brewers in a clutch spot. Now the pitch. Hit to right center. Hey, in the gap. with a scorching double. And we are back to even. Jesse Winker's season is really hard to describe, especially how it ended. Uh, If you're familiar with Foolish Baseball, Bailey, what he does a great job on YouTube, you should follow him on Twitter as well, Foolish Baseball. 
makes a series on YouTube called Baseball Bits. I love it. I've watched every episode. I think he does a great job with statistical breakdowns of, you know, kind of, I don't know what the word would be, I guess off kilter or very, very, very niche uh, topics within the game, but you really learn something at the end of it. And he did a whole baseball bits on Jesse Winker's season, and he uncovered this stat that I had no idea about. Jesse Winker, with nobody on base this season, in 109 plate appearances with nobody on base, he hit 084. He was 8 for 95 with zero extra base hits. But with runners in scoring position, he hit 353, 12 for 34, small sample, I know, with three doubles, eight walks, and only seven strikeouts. Obviously, he only hit one home run of the season. He also hit 352 with just men on period, not just with runners in scoring position. What an odd year. What an, I mean, he went three for four with the bases loaded. It was so weird to see how he performed with men on base and in high leverage situations. I digress. He ties the game with that double. It's 6 to 6. All this action happening in the first 5 innings in the game. Now it's in the hands of the bullpens. 5-5, five, five, first week of games. Everyone's trying to figure out what you got. So Bryce Terang is into the game now as the second baseman after he had pinch hit. Uh, Hobie Milner is still pitching. He gets Mark Canna. Little did we know what was going to become of Mark Canna. Uh, Omar Narvaez and Luis Guillorme in the 6th inning. He then gives way for Peter Strezlecki, who gets three consecutive ground outs in the seventh inning. Then in the eighth inning, here's a name that you may have forgotten about and that may cause some reaction. Matt Bush had the eighth inning for the Brewers in this game. It's just wild to look back. You can see why it had so few games from the first half in the top ten games of the year. But Matt Bush replaces Peter Strezlecki. Uh, he gets Alonzo to ground out. Big Dan Vogelback walked. Tim LoCastro ran for Vogelback. He stole second base. Bush got McNeil to strike out and then Canada to fly out. So a scoreless eighth inning for Matt Bush. Game still tied, 6-6. Six to six. Uh, The Brewers couldn't get anything going in the bottom of the eighth inning. The offenses for both teams really cooled down from here. Top of the ninth, Devin has it in a non-safe situation facing the bottom half of the order. Uh, Narvaez flies out, Guillaume grounds out, and Nimmo pops out. So it's all up to the bottom of the ninth inning. Adam Ottavino is in for David Robertson. Ottavino closing in this game, not Robertson. Ottavino, his first assignment is Garrett Mitchell, who did not start this game again because of the lefty on the mound initially. Mitchell actually came in to pinch hit for Mike Brasso in the sixth, and that caused a whole chain reaction of Brian Anderson going to third, Weaver to center, all this stuff. But Mitchell... His second at-bat of the game wasn't first, but still, nonetheless, he did not start the game. He's leading off the bottom of the ninth inning, and he delivers a signature moment. Again, for the second straight year, a walk-off as a rookie. And the pitch. And then he put himself in the doghouse after the walk-off, talking to Sophia Minnert on the field, saying, you know, every time my wife isn't here, I seem to do something really cool. Remember, we had the walk-off against uh, the Cubs back in 2022. Uh, he had the great game against the Yankees, the game-tying homer and all that stuff. 
uh, and Haley was not there. And I tweeted it, and Haley responded to me. He's like, yeah, he's sleeping on the couch tonight. So it was pretty funny uh, to see all that reaction. Garrett getting his second walk-off and uh, clutch moment for Garrett Mitchell. A highlight of the year. It was on the seventh pitch of the at-bat, by the way, too. Brewers sweep the Mets. Vibes are high. Vibes are immaculate, as I might say. Then the Cardinals came to town. They won that series as well. In Arizona, they lost that series. But then, I mean, the vibes were great then, too. San Diego, they win three out of four there. They sweep the Mariners on the road. But then they started having cracks in the armor. They lose two out of three at home to Boston. They lose two out of three at home to Detroit. They could have swept the Angels, but then the tough month of May happened for the Brewers. But that was certainly the highlight of April for the crew. Garrett Mitchell's walk-off homer is our number two game of the year. Here we are. We're nearly an hour and a half into this, and we are finally at number one. Just one more recap for you to remind you what the previous marks are. Number 10, Joey Weimer's walk-off against the Orioles on June 6th. Number nine, the Alec Bohm error off of Owen Miller's bat. That was on September 1st against the Phillies. August 5th against the Pirates, Blake Perkins had a walk-off single. That's number eight. Bryce Terang's infield walk-off single against the Twins on the hottest day of the year on August 23rd. That's number seven. Number six is Freddie's shutout. He had 13 Ks. The team had 18 against the Reds on July 26th in the last game of the year against Cincinnati. September 16th is number five. That was against the Nats, the Mark Canna Grand Slam game. Number four, Sal Freelich's debut against the Braves on national television. That was on July 22nd. Number three, the Caleb Bosley game at the end of the season against the Cubs, September 29th, winning in extras. Carlos Santana won it with a walk-off. That was a double down a left field line. Number two, you just heard Garrett Mitchell's walk-off homer. And maybe you figured it out by now. But the number one game of the 2023 season, in my opinion, in my opinion alone, July 3rd against the Chicago Cubs, the Jemai Jones game, the comeback game. The controversy of that week that it was the next day about David Ross complaining about the roof and all this stuff, but so much juice in the ballpark for that whole series, a 4th of July holiday midweek series against the Cubs, and game one of this series was an all-time classic in this rivalry. We'll get to Jemai Jones in just a moment. Let's just set the scene here really quickly. Heading into this series, the... Brewers and the Reds were tied for first place in the Central, and the Brewers had barely seen the Reds at this point. They were about to see a whole lot of them in July. 46-39 and heading into this game. And the Cubs were feeling slighted because they hadn't seen the Brewers since opening weekend, but yet they were the only team in the Central to have a positive run differential at this point in the season, but yet there were seven games back and seven games under 500. They were 38-45, and the Brewers were 46-39. and I remember David Ross talking about it in his weekly scrum, in his media scrum, and it was just like, yeah, we we feel like we're right there with them, but obviously the results don't show it, and then uh, we all know how the season ended for David Ross and what ended up for the rest of the year for him. And this game was bonkers. And their offense, to its credit, it showed up like he said it would. And they got going quickly in this game. It was Julio Tehran who was starting to become the Julio Tehran people thought he was going to be. He was solid in June, helping get things back on track with Brandon Woodruff being out, Wade Miley getting injured, how important he and Colin Ray were in the middle portions of this season. But Tehran, after getting roughed up by the Mets, also got roughed up by the Cubs in back-to-back starts in this one. The Brewers were going up against a lefty and Drew Smiley. They were doing 
better against lefties, but still this lineup was lacking the thump that they had a year prior. In fact, uh, in this game, there will be 14 runs scored in this game, not a single home run, which was, I think, an anomaly uh, in this contest. If you remember it, 43,000 were on hand at American Family Field for a day game holiday. I was not one of them. One of the few games I had missed this year, of course, I have Mondays and Tuesdays. I'm not in person generally at the ballpark, but I was listening to it on the radio, had a flight that day for my other job at TBS, and uh, was listening to Bob and Lane on the radio. So this was a game that I was flashing in and out of, and when I saw it was 6 nothing at the end of the top of the third inning, I was like, oh, man, all right, well, I guess the Cubs are for real, and this is going to be a wild division. And this was when everyone was really kind of dogging on the Central, right? And they always do, but the National Meet always does. But really dogging on the Central, the fact that the darling Cubs and, you know, them getting Bellinger, and he was having a great year to this point. And, you know, Marcus Stroman, he's been having a great year. Kyle Hendricks is coming back, and... All this stuff was just like, why, why are they not winning more? And this division stinks. The Pirates were in first place in April and May. Then they fell off. Now the Reds, what are they going to do? When is Ellie De La Cruz going to come up? And he was up at this point. So I was really sick of the narrative following the Central at this point. But now it's 6 nothing, Heading to the bottom of the third inning, Tehran gets roughed up. A couple of doubles, a couple of singles, just a lot of contact against Julio Tehran and a lot of weak contact. But then a few well-placed doubles as well. Not going to take anything away from the Cubs. Drew Smiley then looked human in the bottom of the third inning. A one-out walk to Bryce Terang in a left-on-left matchup on four pitches. That's the kind of thing that can't happen if you're Drew Smiley. Then William Contreras lined a double. Mind you, William Contreras was leading off this game. Yeah, one of only two games all year he was a leadoff hitter. This one in a game in May in San Francisco. Why not? He was the Brewers' best hitter, uh, most consistent hitter all season long. And uh, he delivers with an RBI double to get the Brewers on the board and let the comeback begin. This was the largest comeback of the season for the Brewers. Down 6 nothing, heading to the bottom of the third. Then Christian Yelich hit a ground ball to first. That was booted by uh, Drew Young, first baseman for the Cubs. It allowed a run to score. Yelich, meanwhile, got all the way to third. It was an error, technically, but... Initially called a triple. Then Willie Adamas added an RBI single to make it 6-3. to three. So we got a little bit of a game. There's some juice. There's always the dueling fan bases and everything going on with that. Both pitchers would settle down in the fourth inning, leaving men stranded. Now, from there, the bullpens would have to start taking over. Michael Fulmer had the bottom of the fifth. He did allow a couple of walks, but no runs. Tehran was lifted after the sixth, but he retired the last seven batters that he faced. It's still 6-3, heading to the seventh inning when things were about to pop. J.B. Bukowskis pitched in this game. J.B., he had a scoreless top of the seventh inning, the Brewers staying in the contest. Remember the name Jemai Jones, right? He was acquired in the offseason, uh, a minor league free agent, utility guy, doesn't really have a position, originally was an outfielder in the Angels organization, also a second baseman of the Dodgers organization. The Brewers acquired him, and uh, here he is making his first at-bat in the big leagues in two years. More on that on how this inning rally began. So one out, or first batter, Contreras, he was retired. Pop out. There was one out. Yelly singles. He was batting second in this game. He's aboard. But then Adamas flies out, and Yelly still, this rally began with two outs and a man on first base. Down 6-3, in the bottom of the seventh inning. Owen Miller draws a walk. 
Runners on first and second. Blake Perkins was due. Instead, Rymel Tapia came in to pinch it. The names I've been saying in these last two games have been really making me smile. Rymel Tapia comes in the pinch hit. He draws a four-pitch walk from Julian Merriweather. He walked uh, back-to-back batters on eight pitches. So Anthony Kay, left-hander, comes in to face Jesse Winker. Nope, plot twist. Craig Council pulls Jesse Winker and goes... With Jemai Jones, going with the leverage, going with the platoon advantage. Jemai, again, has not had a big league at bat in two years. Last with the Dodgers in 2021. Here he is. What do you do in the bases loaded, two outs, down by three in a rivalry game in the bottom of the seventh inning? K's first pitch to him, a fly ball out to center field. Back on it is Bellinger. It's over his head. One hops the wall. Yelich is in, Miller is in, Toppy around third, he slides in there safely, Jemai Jones, welcome to the crew! Quick backstory here, I've known Jemai since our days in the minor league, since we were just kids, so let me backtrack to 2016, okay, rookie ball, Pioneer League, remember the Helena Brewers? We played in the same league. I was with the Orem Owls. I was their broadcaster. Jemai was our starting center fielder in the Angels organization. He was their first-round pick from a year prior. He was the top prospect in the organization. We were on those bus rides together for most of the season. Jemai is a great dude, massive, massive fan of his. And I remember talking with him in the clubhouse the next day, or two days later when I got back to town, You know, finally catching up with him. Hadn't seen him in a few years. Hadn't seen him since like the fall league in 2019. And, you know, like, what's your first taste of Milwaukee in this series and everything that's gone down? I was like, dude, I had no idea how big of a rivalry this was. And, uh, he, I mean, he's a Georgia boy. He's from Norcross. Uh, and he's, you know, spent a lot of time out west now, in both the Angels and Dodgers organizations. So he really enjoyed his taste of Milwaukee this year. And then there's another saying in baseball. Now, this obviously wasn't a debut, but... This is something I think that I think about every time I see a debut or a big moment. You only get a first pitch in the big leagues once. Might as well be ready to swing, right? Those are the best stories. You know, guys swinging at the first pitch he sees in the show and he hits a home run, right? Those are the cool stories, in my opinion. Now, this obviously wasn't a debut, but saw the first pitch and was ready to hit and ties the game in dramatic fashion. Six to six, the comeback almost complete. Now, they've tied the game, of course, but they have not taken the lead. Joey Wimber would walk, and then they would reload the bases after Victor Caratini got hit by a pitch. They go back to the bullpen again, Mark Leiter Jr. Uh, And in fact, in this game, something I had forgotten about because of all the chaos, Michael Fulmer, previously in the game, had taken that bat as a reliever because they had burned the DH looking for platoon advantages. They burned the DH in like the fourth inning. It blows my mind to think about that happening in 2023. So you have to make all these other moves, make everything crazy. And by doing so, by because of all of this, Cody Bellinger has to be pulled from the game in the seventh inning of a tied game. Think about that for a second. Not only did you burn the DH when there's a universal DH with the lead in the fourth inning, and you made a reliever bat in Michael Fulmer, you then have to take out arguably your best hitter, Cody Bellinger, in a tied game in the final two frames. Now, do you see why the Cubs did what they did? Anyway, not to take a cheap shot at Rossi there, but this is this has been brewing for a long time. Nonetheless, uh, Mark Leiter Jr. would get out of the frame. 
Yoav Payams would have a scoreless eighth inning. And then the bottom of the eighth, the Brewers would finish the job. Back-to-back singles by Contreras and Yelich. Yelly would steal second base as well when runners were on the corner. So it's second and third. Nobody out. Willie Adamas against the Cubs. And the pitch. Willie, a base hit to right. One run is in. Yelich will hold at third. And the Brewers have the lead at 7-6. On a base hit to right field by Willie Adamas. Owen Miller would add a sack fly. That made it 8-6. And then for the top of the ninth inning, it was not an easy save for Devin, but he still got the job done. Uh, a one-out double by Nico Horner was followed by a ground out. So with two outs, man on second, tying run at the plate. Ian Happ draws a walk, and Ian Happ has something on Devin Williams. He had the home run against him last year in 2022, and he's just got something on Devin. He sees him decently well. So it was all up to Dansby Swanson as the go-ahead run at the top of the ninth inning, the new acquisition for the Cubs, with runners on first and second in a rivalry opener at American Family Field. Here it is! Of course, the rest of this series would end up being a split, uh, a harbinger, if you will, of what was to come with the rest of this series the rest of the year. But of course, the Brewers still won the Central over the Cubs, and then the Cubs responded by taking their manager because, well, (laughs) it's just wild to think about everything that's happened in the last even just nine months since the Brewers broke camp at spring training. But that's it. We reached the end of our countdown. Here we are, an hour 40 into this pod. If you made it this far, you're a serious Brewer fan, and you're a serious fan of what we do here at WTMJ. So I thank you for making it this far in the podcast, listening to all 10 games of the year. Just in my eyes, if you disagree, tweet me. I don't mind. You know, Let me know if you think something else should have been higher or lower, something else you would have put on here. I maybe would have put one of those Mariners games on here. Um the West Coast time slot, though, would have been tough. I thought about putting a Ranger game on here when the Brewers swept them, but I'm pretty happy with these top 10 games of the year. Very uh, arbitrarily chosen by me. It was fun reliving a little bit of the season. And here we are, the weekend of Christmas. Can't wait to take a little mini breather here and enjoy some time at home for the holidays. Go see my family, and I hope you all get the chance to do the same. So... Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support and your listenership all year long. Uh, Full year on the beat. It was a lot of fun, and I think we got more to come. You'll hear me next on Thursday nights, a week from yesterday. The next Brewers Weekly is live back in our normal time slot, 8 o'clock. That'll be our last Brewers Weekly of the year. Don't forget, go play the holiday quiz that I posted on WTMJ, and I still haven't seen a score better than 27 out of 40. So it's meant to be hard, but see if you can get bragging rights in your household on this one. And then also, I'll see you guys at the winter warm-up on January 13th at the Miller High Life Theater. Uh, We'll be having a live show from there. We're in the process of that. Again, that's Saturday, January 13th. Get your tickets now. They're going fast. A lot of player appearances. I saw Garrett Mitchell was confirmed today, as well as Jackson Churio will be there, too. There's an autograph session, all that available at Brewers.com. Okay, I think that's it. I hope that's it. All right, 
next time you'll chat, it'll be on the 28th, and then that'll be our last show of 2023, and bring on the new year. I hope you have a very Merry Christmas, safe travels to wherever you may be going, and I will holler at you guys next week. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. My name is Dominic Catronio. You can call me Dom. You can follow me on social media at Dom underscore Catronio. That's Cotronio. And we'll see you next week. Until next time, keep on swinging.